Hello and welcome to our podcast, Gurus at Dawn. My name is Elisa and I'm here with my co-host, Ren. Hello. And today the title of our episode is A Love Letter to the Anti-Slave Movement. So this is going to be the last episode we do regarding the Civil War for a bit, and we won't even really bring up the Civil War a ton today, more so just briefly mentioning it here and there. We're going to be focusing on the Vietnam War era, mainly the 60s. So the Vietnam War, I feel like so many people hear about it being controversial, but there's not a ton of clarity as to why it was so unpopular in the United States. So first of all, keep in mind, the Vietnam War affected the country of Vietnam in many ways. It's a really interesting war to study, and if you ever want to do so, I highly recommend that you study not through the American experience. There are lots of reasons, many of which self-explanatory, as to why you shouldn't do that. But to name a few, this war was fought in Vietnam, while most Americans were seas away from the terror and death that it brought happening in real time. Though many American troops did die there, it was still a buffer for it not to be taking place in the United States. But furthermore, the United States is going to lose the war, and because of this, this is another the reason why you shouldn't study through the American history gaze. You will miss so much of what actually took place. But as we're focusing our energy on the American experience, we will be mainly discussing only the war in the context of how it affected American day-to-day -day life in the country. Just be advised in your own study to not get stuck on the United States involvement and try your best to practice non-ethnocentric behavior while educating yourself. And for the people of Vietnam, it was largely fought to establish what kind of government that the country would operate under after the end of French control there. So you could imagine that there was a lot of different things going on. Interestingly enough though, not unlike the civil war that took place here in the United States, it was fought between North Vietnam and South Vietnam. And I do hate to oversimplify this war, but for the sake of staying orientated with the lecture today, it's important to understand why the United States was involved in the first place. The United States fought against the North, as that part of the country wanted to enforce communist rule. More specifically, politicians such as President Kennedy had believed in the domino effect, meaning once a few nations fell to communism, it would surely lead to other nations succumbing to that form of government too. And when people tell you the history, often they make it seem like it was this epic thing that we joined the Vietnam War. We joined for humanitarian reasons, and that's semi-true, but more pointedly, the United States believed that capitalism somehow equaled humane governments, so it was more so a desire to push capitalism on other countries, not actual forms of human rights. And you might think I mean that the United States sought to stop the dictators that often coincide with communist takeover, so they were really just trying to stop that evil. But honestly, you could tell that's not the case either. In fact, there's a long American history of backing corrupt foreign politicians. It was like, oh, you're an authoritarian leader who treats their people like garbage? Eh, you prefer big business and capitalism like us. You're all right. But yeah, so the main reason that the United States stuck its nose in the Vietnam War was because they were scared of communism. And of course, going into it, the big American ego was like, oh man, this is an impoverished country and we're so rich and smart and cool. We're going to win in no time and then we're going to pull our troops out. Bada bing, bada boom. And that's definitely not what happened by a long shot. The United States ended up fighting overseas in Vietnam for over 10 years. The war took place from 1955 to 1975. 
and the U.S. eventually pulled out most of its involvement by 1973 after losing the war. So, as this war is taking place, let's go over what life looked like culturally in the United States at the time of the war, again mainly in the 60s. The 60s brought waves of people who denounced all the strict social norms. They pushed boundaries with sexuality, race, gender roles, and really any social taboos. Of course, those people were what is referred to as the counterculture or the term more commonly used, hippies. And consistent with their desire to challenge all boundaries, they certainly are going to question and in some ways denounce capitalism as being the only economic answer. There were even groups of people forming communes that definitely lived life in a communistic way. The culture of the United States was genuinely going through such a dramatic shift during this time. Most of us have heard about the awakening that struck the country. And that's not to forget the activism in the black community is booming at this time too. Take for instance the freedom rides that occurred in the deep south which were often met with severe violence like beatings and there was even a bombing on one of the buses in Alabama. Sit-ins at restaurants and marches were taking place. So much police brutality at these peaceful protests, too, which should sound familiar in the context of today. But also, groups like the well-known Black Panthers were beginning to arise due to the strengthening of Black Power ideology. The Communist Manifesto is going to speak deeply to the founders of the Black Panthers, so much so that the group was founded on the ideals of communism, all about bringing power to the proletariat. The founders of the Black Panthers are all very big fans of the equality that communism offers in its foundation, and of course, it's going to be very appealing to people looking to help change the serious inequality they face within the confines of a systemically racist nation based around uncapped capitalist economy. The founders were Bobby Seale, Albert Howard, and Huey P. Newton. Which, by the way, Huey P. Newton is actually one of my favorite people to quote of all time. He's got some real zingers, but one of my favorites is, The revolution has always been in the hands of the young. The young always inherit the revolution. Like, gosh, goosebumps every time. Anyway. While we're listing big names in black history at this time, let us never forget our queen who is still an incredible activist to this day, Angela Davis, who was part of the Black Panthers movement and was very vocal about her communistic beliefs. She is so iconic, there's no way we won't talk about her again in the future. But for now, to stay focused, not everyone knows the truth behind the Black Panthers. In fact, when I was younger, the first time I had ever heard about it, and what I was told in public school, mind you, is that it was like a terrorist organization similar to the KKK. And wow, my gosh, that is so unbelievably false. They were by no means the same. Case in point, some of their main objectives included equal education, housing opportunity, and employment opportunities, to name a few. And when I say equal, I mean equal for all. They weren't just wanting equality for black people. Though they were focused on mainly black issues, they wanted equal opportunity for all oppressed people. They helped establish some long-lasting good changes for oppressed communities. For instance, if you were like me and grew up on free and reduced lunch, guess what? You have the Black Panthers to thank for that. They were the ones who started it. And that program makes a big difference to this day. I grew up in a school system where over half the kids were on that program. And that's because having the basic necessity of food in school is such a vital thing for low-income areas. But you see, that was their main focus, providing more humane alternatives, trying to help ensure basic necessities for underprivileged 
communities and neighborhoods. And they also in no way were against all white people. They were very open about distinguishing between racist white people and anti-racist white people who shared their progressive stances. They weren't trying to fight white people. They were trying to fight racism. Just like Huey P. Newton said, sometimes if you want to get rid of the gun, you have to pick the gun up. So the violence that they were willing to use, that was a response to the violence that was being done to the black community and still is to this day. The Black Panthers weren't trying to incite violence like it is often made to seem. They were trying to put a stop to it. But to go back to this core idea developing, these new progressive stances are going to create a strange dynamic in the American politics for sure, coming up with a new left. And that definitely also played into the views of the Vietnam War. One of the people's biggest qualms with the Vietnam War was that drafts were being enforced. So many were sent off to essentially die in a war, and even worse so, for a cause they didn't believe in. And just like the Civil War, the Vietnam War seemed to drag on forever. While the deaths were nothing close to the Civil War, it was still a very bloody war, coming in as the fourth most bloody war the United States has ever fought. So, as many know, in this time of political awakening and progressiveness, people are going to challenge the status quo. We see an influx of draft dodgers, and there are many layers to draft dodging, those opposed to the practice called those who chose to do so cowards who had no honor. But in reality, many of them saw it as a way to show ultimate disapproval of the war and American politics as a whole. And several of the people who were anti-draft and anti-war were students who couldn't be injured in the draft anyways, as they had student deferments. And this anti-war movement reached intense heights, even resulting in some major protests that ended in some scary violence. And there was so much unity in this anti-war wave because it spoke to so many people who held passionate platforms pertaining to criticism on American politics. To name a few reoccurring issues they would often have, people didn't like the United States' intolerant behavior towards the Communist Party. Others were deeply opposed to the consistent colonizing and imperialistic nature that the U.S. often had. They were sick of seeing this misplaced concept of American superiority within the scope of foreign affairs, and rightfully so, especially with this war. Because Vietnam was being used like a pawn in the United States' agenda to keep communism tampered down, which, by the way, is another reason why it's gross to study that war from an American gaze. But, you know, we are seeing this wave of social issues being challenged, and with it a notion of being able to critique the American government and culture in a way that hadn't really been done on a large scale before. And in the wake of all of this change, especially the ones involving human rights, and namely civil rights, people are going to have to revisit the topic of race on a political scale. Now, the last few episodes, we talked about how right after the Civil War, tensions were really high and white supremacists were being painted as heroes in the birth of the nation. And then a few decades after that film, people are so unbothered by the disgusting Southern apologist rhetoric in films like Gone with the Wind. But in the 60s, the popularization of the television really made it impossible to ignore overt racism like Lomas Scarlett O'Hara tried to do. 
And as low-key obvious as it might sound today with how much media content we consume, people liked the idea of things being out of sight and out of mind. Segregation was prevalent throughout the nation. White people liked keeping black people out of their world for lots of reasons. One reason was the obvious, because of racism and prejudice, but also because they wanted to be able to pretend that they lived in the nation of the free. And how could they keep pretending that when looking at the undeniable inequalities that black people were subject to? But now that the television had become something most households had, it brought national attention to the matter like never before. And I think this is also when we see a slight narrative shift in the memory of the Civil War because it was no longer the war that brought equality in the eyes of the nation because remember that's what Lincoln was preaching by the end of the war to boost morale and then we saw reconstruction and the passing of the 13th and 14th amendment but they knew that absolutely was not what brought equality because of the visibly unconstitutional Jim Crow laws. I think this shift is indicative of a slightly less tolerant view of racism as a whole and all of a sudden the comfortability that many had with segregation segregation and the harsh Jim Crow laws started lessening. Because if you'll remember, the South was able to gain control and enforce white supremacy when Northern troops pulled out and chose to ignore the horrible things that the South wanted to enforce. So all of a sudden, the veil that had been kept over the South and its unconstitutional laws came off, and it wasn't just the Northern politicians that could see them, it was the entire nation. Also, now with the new room people had to call out crappy things the government did, with the incoming wave of the new left, there was an added pressure for the government to fix these issues of blatant oppression in hopes of helping to calm the very polarized American people. It's also important to understand, though we see this narrative shift of people finally recognizing the country was nowhere close to having equality for all citizens, it definitely didn't end all the problematic notions surrounding the memory of the Civil War. Some of those who considered themselves to be anti-war went to an extreme level and thought that no war was a just war, which of course affected some people's ideas of the civil war and we've talked about southerners or southern sympathizers who thought the war was aimless northern aggression but we also see a few anti-war people that will almost echo this notion they didn't so much deny the importance of ending slavery only that there didn't need to be such devastating battles over it this is certainly not indicative of every person who's anti-war but there are a few who think the American Civil War should have been solved through diplomacy, that the country could have found many ways around it before resorting to violence. And this argument was even further strengthened by the amount of deaths that took place. But we know this was not the case. There was no diplomacy to be had. In our episode, Building Blocks to a Civil War, we laid out how deeply this disagreement went. And like Elisa said, this is not the stance that every anti-war person took. Most anti-war people were mainly protesting American involvement in the Vietnam War in particular. They weren't protesting war itself. But it's interesting to see that there was even room for that thought in the first place. The 60s were also the 100 year anniversary to the American Civil War. And just like some of us like to pretend that slavery is so very far in this country's past, many people back in the 1960s likely allowed them 
themselves to feel so far removed from the era of slavery in general, too. And they didn't seem to understand how big of a polarizing issue it had been. And speaking of polarizing issues, with all these different movements happening from the new left, civil rights, women's rights, gay rights, Hispanic and Latino rights, all these different ways coming, you know that the racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic people are not gonna just chill and let all this happen. Y'all know the hippies weren't gonna be able to keep the free love and peace vibe for too long without conservative people getting all antsy and wanting to restore some control over American culture. Yes, there were many citizens who began to deepen their already strong conservative beliefs. And we talked about fearing communism, but we've yet to bring up one major communist-led country at this time, which would be Russia, as they're still very much in the Cold War. Not only was the government afraid of communism and possible Russian dominance over the United States, but furthermore, there were so many assassinations during this time as well. President Kennedy was murdered in November of 1963. Malcolm X was murdered in February of 1965. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered in April of 1968. And never forget, Fred Hampton, a civil rights activist, was literally shot in his bed by police officers and covered up by the FBI. Major players in the game are dropping like flies. There's not only unrest in their own country, but globally. There's massive unrest in general. So many countries were struggling to find order, too. In Mexico City, students were killed during a demonstration. The Prague Spring Uprising took place in Czechoslovakia. Paris students were protesting in France, all in the same year of 1968, which happened to be an election year. Just so much chaos. And many people in the United States were so terrified with everything going on, they're desperately wanting a sense of normalcy restored. Which is when we get good old Nixon strolling into town with his big tagline of wanting to reestablish strict law and order to what was referred to as the silent majority. And he's going to win the 1968 election. While most say that this idea of the silent majority represented a moderate political stance, it more than certainly was overwhelmingly conservative in its platforms. And if you think about it, what he was really saying without all the fluffy political dressing on it was, are you sick? of these hippies saying it's okay to not be white, straight, male, and Christian? Do you miss the days when people were allowed to openly hate black people and women knew their place was in the kitchen? Well, if you vote for me, we can get this country back on track. Why, we can even make America great again. Oops, wait, no, that's the wrong president. Or is it? Anyway, yeah, the whole progressive movement that the country saw totally got set back a couple decades because of the huge amount of reactionary voting. And that's so frustrating. Something John Oliver summed up pretty well is how dangerous American exceptionalism can be, especially within the realm of understanding political and cultural progression for civil rights. He pointed out that when people are taught with American exceptionalism, they tend to believe that things happened in an upward fashion. The United States fought the Civil War, the Union won, and ended slavery. Civil rights activists like MLK gave his I Have a Dream speech, 
And then Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act and everything was fixed and we were equal. But see, after that, people's memory tends to get fuzzy. And the truth is, that isn't the case at all. Yeah, because first of all, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. And leaders like MLK didn't stop protests because there was still change that was needed. And the Black Panthers didn't form until 1966, also in response to the still very present inequality. Because things don't happen in one progressive line throughout history, as we know. It takes two steps forward and a hundred steps back. So this is why it's important to have clarity about what the Civil War meant to the country. Because there was a time where people were like, eh, black people have equal rights because we ended that issue with the war. And then when the Civil Rights Movement happened, it changed to, eh, black people have equal rights because we ended that issue with the Civil Rights Movement. And it has stayed that way for a bit, but it's more than time to look again and realize that neither of those are actually actually true because the Civil Rights Act did absolutely beckon in some changes for the black community, but inequality is still ever present. And the Civil War did end one form of slavery, but to be honest with you, different forms of slavery were still allowed to persist because slavery didn't end, it just took on a new form. And that is where we're stopping this week because next week we're going to tackle that exact subject and we're going to examine exactly what modern day forms of slavery look like and how they were able to take root in the first place. Yes, so we're going to take a break, get some tea, and we'll be right back. And now, a word from our sponsors. This week is brought to you by Elisa CD Player. In the age of modern streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, you may find yourself thinking that CD players are obsolete. Well, not to Elisa. Her collection includes boy bands, Studio Ghibli movie scores, and more boy bands. If you're a like-minded individual and believe that mixtapes will never be out of style, consider donating to our Ko-Fi link, which can be found on any of our social media. Elisa's CD player. Because some people still use those. Alright, we're back. So what kind of tea are you having, Elisa? I'm having Dragonwell, which is a fine Chinese green tea. Its Chinese name is actually Longjing, and... It's a really interesting tea to read about because there are actually legends based around it. I am having a tea that is from my own blending imagination. It's a black tea base. It has elements such as fenugreek, rosemary, juniper berries, cedar tips, and ginger. It also has a lap song, sushong, which is another Chinese tea. It's a black tea. It's also referred to as smoky tea. So if you've ever heard of smoky tea, that's a lap song. And you might be thinking, um, Ren, that sounds pretty fallish. Well, yeah, some of us like the fall and some of us are ready for fall weather. And that's why we're having fall tea because we're pretending that it's fall, even though it's not yet. So I don't want to hear it. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, who's your who's your artist this week, Elisa? My artist. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. I have been waiting Turn it up. <laughs> My artist this week is Panda, spelled P-A-N-D-U-H. They're actually a fellow USAO alum. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and I've just adored their art for so, so long. They create digital illustrations, typically portraits, that use expressive poses and color palettes that are just really emotionally 
driven. And one of my favorite pieces that they've done is called Stolen Sisters, which is a commissioned piece on the missing and murdered indigenous women. And it's heartbreaking and beautiful. They also just launched their Etsy shop. So now you can buy prints or stickers of these lovely pieces. And I definitely recommend you check them out. They also have a piece called Spilling the Tea and I could buy out their entire store with just (laughs) that. It's so cute. So... Rin, who's your artist for this week? (laughs) My artist is Hawa. Hawa was born in Berlin to West African parents. She also has been in the music game for kind of a long time. As a preteen, she was one of the youngest ever composers of the New York Philharmonica Orchestra, and she toured the world with them. The song that I'm going to be recommending by her is Get Famous, which is from her newest EP called The One. So check her out. And for our activist this week, it would be the lovely Angela Davis. Yeah, like I said before, this woman is still on the forefront of the battle for equality and she's a gem. She's the author of several books, she's won different awards for her hard work during her life, and she's been inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. She recently made a video addressing Kamala Davis as the VP pick for Biden, and as expected by this queen, she doesn't ignore Harris's problematic past. But one great point that Davis made was that, and to use her words, it makes the ballot far more palatable for those of us who are feeling less than excited to vote for Biden this coming November. So when you go to the voting polls this year, as you wait in line, keep Davis's strong words of wisdom in your heart and try to find the solace in being able to cast your vote to help the first woman of color in an office as high as the vice president. Celebrate it as the big step for women and women of color that it is. Yes. Oh, we love love Angela Davis. I'm so glad we could feature her not only in the lecture, but also as our activist for the week. It's just amazing. I would literally ask her to adopt me, but I love my mom too much. to (laughs) I want to keep my mom around. (laughs) Maybe she can be our activist mom. (laughs) So what's going on in the news, Elisa? Oh, Lord, it's a far. (laughs) And by that, I mean, there seriously have been some huge fires that have been consuming large swaths of land. In California, they actually just declared a state of emergency, as well as in Colorado. That fire in particular is heartbreaking because it swept through the Hanging Lake, which some people revered as the most beautiful place in Colorado. It's important to be aware of how our direct actions, most notably cigarette disposal, can cause major ecological devastation, but also amid the chaos of 2020 and the pandemic, let's not forget that we're living on a ticking time bomb. We have to act now to combat climate change. It may feel like a lost battle given the current administration and the unfortunate loss of the more progressive candidates who had much more solid and widespread plans to address this issue, but we must remember that our more local elections can have a big impact in and of themselves. For example, California has emission offset regulations that car companies have to follow in order to have their cars sold there, and because their market is so vast, These companies often make their whole car lines follow these guidelines. We can make changes locally and they can have a big impact on these issues in a more widespread way. 
Gosh, preach, Elisa. Yes. Inform the masses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, that is going to be the end of the episode. Like I hinted before, next week we're going to be going into modern day slavery and uh, what that looks like. So, so yeah, come join us on social media. Tomorrow is Sunday and we'll be online with a post directly discussing the topics from this week. So feel free to join us. Yeah, give our social media pages some love. All right, with that, bye.